Hey! <laughs> I'm not sure we're ever going to recover. That's how we're going to start, just blasting out our audience's eardrums. I'm so sorry. Hey! Hey! As long as we're not blasting out any other parts of their body like you intend to, you fucking pervert. Ho, ho, ho. That's what they're going to be saying when I'm done with them. Is that a book about I mean, dolphins behind you, Michael? Is it? I think we really uh, woken something inside of him. <laughs> Actually, the the dolphins have awakened inside of him, but <laughs> they come in him. He come on floor. I I think that after last week's episode, I've actually had people write and say, uh, "Forget about Hitler. Michael is the real monster." <laughs> <laughs> I've actually I've heard the same thing. Yeah, so. I am. I am, according to Courtney's canon, responsible for 9/11. Right? That's what we said. Uh-huh. Amongst other and things. And also, <laughs> just like Hitler, you strike fear through the French coastline. <laughs> so, it's <laughs> a beautiful thing. And uh, oh, man. speaking of things that cause fear and panic, Heil come slingers, and welcome to another disgruntled installment of this. The Disinformed Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Michael. I'm Courtney. Still in in under two minutes, so, you know, I've, I've met the mandate for this evening. Thank you. Huzzah! I do try. Despite my efforts, yeah. <laughs> like Anakin Skywalker before me. You will try! <laughs> how are, Don't how try are podcasting this evening, Anakin. I have the high ground! <laughs> How are you guys feeling, Shane? You and uh, you and lovely Melissa. Feeling well, right? Melissa is on. Uh, she's on death's door. Uh, her life was in your hands, dude. And oof. Yeah, yeah. She's right. not feeling great, but uh, that's somewhat par for the course. Speaking to the converted here, I know Courtney can relate. Uh, it's just kind of. I'm I'm another degree of shitty this evening. It just Courtney, lingers. You and, you and Jonah, all right? Jonah's great. I'm still coughing. It's okay. great. Michael, how many beers are you in? <laughs> Just like two. Oh, dude, same. Cheers. I, I, oh, yeah, I, I tempered myself after the, hey! So you won't be as I funny this week necessary. then? Is that what you're saying? I'm testing it. <laughs> I don't want to rationalize my alcoholism, but I'm going to rationalize my alcoholism tonight. Jenna was like, I... how drunk is Michael? And I was like, <laughs> oh, well, he does say on the episode. <laughs> Allow me to answer that question. Transfer! Cloth <laughs> hunger! I bet you won't chug uh, your beer right now before we get into the gritty of it and open up another one. Bet you oh, won't. I, I, I only brought one up here. I... No. No. <laughs> no. No lemon pledge. No pussy. Stop. No pussy. <laughs> <laughs> You kind of had a little sass on the end of that. <laughs> no pussy. All right. Oh, do salt not, and pepper. Yeah, yeah, do not do the gravel. You're going you're gonna to make me crumb. Oh, no. I'm going to chunk. <laughs> going to make me drum. Okay. Oh, no. There's no, no way for me to do this this evening. There's going to be some uh, some banging noises, Michael. And not the As kind you used to. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, they're not fun banging. Okay. So I think I discussed uh, last week, I don't know whether or not 
John was present, but I mean, that's always open to interpretation. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, I I had said that I was experiencing a degree of research fatigue where I have despaired of trying to maintain my present standard of 87 pages worth of content uh, to whip at you at any given interval. So I tried something a little different. I'm I'm doing a semi Michael today, and so far as heavy water too. (laughs) No, no, my water has been heavy for quite some time uh, to my against my best efforts. (laughs) But uh, what I what I have this evening is sort of a hybrid topic. So there's a portion of this which will very much be our standard operating fare, and then there's a portion of this which is going to be kind of what we will wind up doing at fan fusion knock wood should that actually take place <laughs> what is okay. a fan fusion well uh it is what happens when you are aboard uh that oh, i'm gonna forget the name of the ship damn it if you have endured the philadelphia experiment and you are trapped inside of the wall of a submarine after going into another dimension okay that's a fan fusion wow indeed uh, it is also an event that is going to be taking place in in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, in May of this year. Allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, indeed. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that goes. But uh, so what we typically do on this show, for those of you who may or may not be initiated, is we will randomly dive into esoteric topics, and in the course of explaining them to one another, we will leaven in the occasional lie because that's just more fun. Allegedly. Lying is the uh, the most fun that a girl can have with her clothes on. Is uh, the that's a quote, damn fact. I believe Natalie Portman told me. <laughs> Thank you, so. Damn fact. <laughs> you can quote me on it. But uh, so for this week, I have lies. They are present. There are three of them. Are they pretty little? Since lies? everyone, uh, no, they're they're ghastly, and you would know because you saw what my source material is for this evening. Oof. Yeah, I got a question. So what is its penis made out of? Is it also made <laughs> out of rock? Well, I mean, if your dork is not made of orange stone, then I don't want it. <laughs> I just have, what is it, True. moss on a rolling stone? <laughs> <laughs> I just have uh, Stan Lee going, he's got a strange obsession with superhero sex organs. <laughs> This is just the thirst trap arc of our show. Indeed. <laughs> no. This is uh, this is everything I can do to keep us from having a loose fit here. So uh, what I will start out with is I have a question for each of you. And it is very important and germane to the discussion of the evening. Because Courtney uh, incepted this idea <laughs> oh, with no. me a few <laughs> weeks ago by saying she's never seen a Batman movie. Nope. So, what is the first superhero film that each of you can remember having seen? Do I have to remember the actual movie or just the movie itself? What? Does I, that question make sense? I don't think he's going to ask you to recount the movie in its entirety. Yeah, I don't just... need a plot synopsis. I just need, like, <laughs> what's your earliest memory of seeing someone spandex-clad and veiny? Um, if Larry Boy doesn't count from VeggieTales, then I'd have to go <laughs> with, uh, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Okay. Um, I know it's 
some point in my childhood, I saw one of the Tim Burton Batmans. I don't remember exactly that, and if okay. that doesn't yeah. count, it does. But I so do you remember no other details other than it was Tim Burton and it was a Batman movie? Because they're <laughs> pretty was, easy to distinguish from one another. Like I said, it was a long time ago. I think it recently came out. So that we don't judge. It's twenty twenty two. it down to people all... have their own proclivities. Yeah. So I'm going to answer. Um, which one came first? The um, first Sam Raimi Spider Man or X Men? X Men. X Men. Yes. Then X Men. I saw X Men then. Okay. If my answer doesn't count, then my answer is the same as his. But I remember the Phantom. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> That's why it I was did. asking because I'll I, allow it. I remember that I can see it in my head, but I couldn't tell you a single fucking thing about the movie, but I know that I watched it. Uh, neither could anybody who saw it, reviewed it, or starred in it. <laughs> yeah, and I was just looking it up. I was trying to find, making sure that I was going to say it correctly, because all I can think of now is like, Affleck was the bomb in Phantom, yo. Uh, <laughs> That's, it's pretty spot on, as a matter of fact, strangely enough. And uh, I have a list here. How about you? That will tell me. Uh, when that came out, because I'm curious now. 97. Okay, wow, that is much further along than I expected. Oof. Uh, so the first uh, superhero film that I saw was the 1960s Batman television show movie. Oh. So they did have Batman oh. the motion picture. Oh, shit, uh, you know what? Mine was actually Keaton Batman. Sorry. Man, you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, do do you have like fond memories of these experiences, everybody, or or is it you know kind of like eh? if it was X Men? I mean, how do you not have fond memories? Well, that of movie still that? holds up. Uh, Keaton Batman is fantastic, I think. Uh, okay. And Phantom, as I already said, I can't even remember, so I couldn't tell you. Okay, if I can steal the Kevin Smith line, yeah, for all its flaws and shit, yeah, the '89 Batman's great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, certainly compared to the things that preceded it, uh, it was worlds away. So I'm not going to begrudge I mean, uh, Tim Burton anything. It's no Batman and Robin, but it'll do. <laughs> I was going to say that. Don't I have very fond memories screen. of that. I love I, that movie. I plan Good. on removing every single part of your anatomy that is attached piecemeal if you say that again you couldn't even he didn't say it was the best he said it was just good he enjoyed i was it. referring to you michael <laughs> oh. <laughs> i know what your tastes are so i'm not entirely shocked but okay yeah exactly uh and courtney are you just not entirely thrilled by the the genre or was it the sheltered existence that kind of contributed to this i think it was more the sheltered existence because i don't think it okay. really watched superhero movies until i was like 17 and I think at that okay. point it was kind of like, eh. But I do remember really enjoying um, the first three X-Men movies. Mm -hmm. And then anything Hugh Jackman is in, I'm interested in. So, As long <laughs> as it were you, That's then fair, uh, fair. you'd be even more excited. Right, exactly, yeah. Okay, so I we, we've established that you enjoy vascular individuals with a lot of <laughs> muscles. On occasion. Since, all right. So if it's not Superman or Wolverine, she's not interested. Well, no, I, it's like I told John. I like them thick or I like them ripped or I don't like them at all. Okay. What if they're thick and ripped? Yes. Okay. 
then she will also be thick and rich. I will climb that tree. So what you're saying is that, oh, that oh, what you're saying is that that fan art of Shane really, really <laughs> gave you some trouble. Daddy, she was I the mean, first one to break Daddy, up them thighs. Daddy. So yeah. Uh, speaking of things that God didn't damn. need to be awakened, uh, <laughs> we're gonna just run through. So all right. Based on that, I just want to give a little history lesson here, because uh, things weren't always so great in the realms of comics cinema, in case we've forgotten. And I just want to remind everyone, and if the trailer that I showed all of you before we started rolling on this episode was not sufficient to get us back into a mindset, let's go into the doodly-doo wayback machine here. But, uh... Thanks, Killing Three? What? <laughs> this is so vintage uh, because that trailer is from the year before I was born. Indeed. Uh, and uh, <laughs> these are going to be interesting times here. So, in any event, in the present pop culture pantheon, cinematic superhero storytelling is notably pervasive, okay? So much so that the auteur directors like Martin Scorsese, if he's going to be trusted to give us any sort of taste-making ideas. Man's directed the same film 12 times, but uh... <laughs> sorry, Marty. I, I'll still take a job if you got one. It's okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> and I have interesting connectivity to Scorsese in a little bit here, but... Uh... Oh. We'll pause for a moment. Uh, those directors have lamented their puerile and formulaic story structure as the death of artful filmmaking. Okay, we all understand this. Capes, cowls, masks, and muscles saturate movie screens worldwide with heroes, fiends, and furries embroiled in everything from gang warfare to intergalactic turmoil, from time heists to interdimensional incursions. However... It's still worth noting that this four-color commonality is a relatively new phenomenon in the world of cinematic over. Or uh, let me start that over. Yes, in the realms of the the cinematic oeuvre, if you will. I'm not kidding. I have a bit of the Michaels today. Mm. <laughs> I'm also trying to breathe underwater. So, how did we get here? Where are the, we from? What Who year is are it? We? Is, is Nixon, Nixon still, still president? president? <laughs> if it's Watchmen, yes. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Indeed. Uh, he, permanently president, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, the comic book film craze of today can't be traced to a single inciting incident, though many, myself included, have tried their hand at doing so. And uh, we can talk about my theory later on, if everybody's still inclined. But as presently constructed, the zeitgeist consists of a fleet of varied vessels launched haphazardly over a series of years by multiple film studios. But the topic for discussion today is a film which, either by design or dysfunction, it's open to interpretation, simply failed to launch at all which is Roger Corman's ill-fated 1994 film, The Fantastic Four. So I know what you're thinking. I've seen three fucking Fantastic Four movies, <laughs> none of which are that one. So what the hell are you babbling about? Allow me to take you to the cinema list. And John, yes, you have a question. Oh, I was going to say, you're really putting a lot of faith and trust that Michael and Courtney have seen any of the Fantastic Four I movies. have not. Michael loves bad cinema, so if he hasn't seen the Fantastic Four in some iteration, I will be shocked beyond belief. 
I purposely avoided the most recent iteration. Same, same actually. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. I will tell you, it's better than the other two. What? Yeah, interesting. No fool. Okay, okay. Captain America uh, but, fucked the whole thing up. Uh, I was gonna say, I'm also yeah. Good. Fucking Chris Evans has been all over the place. He was also in a DC film playing a comic book character before all of that as well, which is even more delightful. Huh. But uh, I don't have my bloody... In order to try to get everything on here so that my script and all of you silly sons of bitches are here, it has to compress the zoom. So here we are. There in the chat is... Something I stumbled across the other day, and uh, absolutely, because I was making one of my own, and I was like, why am I putting this much effort into something that I'm sure someone else has done? So this is canonically every television series or film ever based on a comic book character from its inception forward. And yes, that stretches back into the 30s. Huh. Uh, and there were many serials of both Batman and Superman that were on television in the 50s. So if that gives you any sort of indication, there's a lot of really ridiculous nonsense featured topic, on this list. Off-topic question for you, Shane, and I'm sure I know the answer, but do you think that like the original Superman movies are worth a revisit? By original, what do you yeah, mean? It's like, because sorry, if we're talking about this of, list, hey. the Superman films from the 50s, because uh, Christopher- I have not seen those. Christopher Reeves. Okay, so the 1970s and 80s Superman films, personally for me, one, I admit I'm not enamored with the character. It's Christ in a cape. So I, I'm not really down Same. for Superman in general. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, they're campy. They're not Batman level campy initially, but they get there. Uh, and as, uh, <laughs> Let me fly around the world. As they all talk time. about, there's some weird, you know, huckstery thing with Lex Luthor always being interested in buying land, and that seems to be like his his sole preoccupation is I gotta own land. Uh, and and it's just really bizarre. Final off-topic question. Well, I'm uh-huh. sure it's not I, the final. I mean, it's on topic technically. Um, is the Snyder Cut worth watching? Absolutely. Uh, but that's only if you were invested enough to have seen Man of Steel yes. and Batman versus Superman and kind of have the context of the story he was trying to tell. Okay, so maybe maybe before I hit the Snyder Cut, just do a quick little rewatchy of the the prior. I two. don't think you really even need to. I just as if you if you it, understand the tone he was familiar. going for, yeah. I mean, okay. and also for DC purists out there, you're. I was really thrilled to be able to see Darkseid. And as we kind of get to from the dark ages of comic storytelling, as someone who didn't just outright hate Green Lantern the way everybody else did, if I get to see some of these characters in costume, that's worth the price of admission. Because I I really uh... am so thrilled with it that it's always like, I just get to see these characters in real life. That's a thing. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it was Green Lantern? Is that Paro, uh, the the villain in Paro Aguayo? Paraqua? Paramore? Parallax? Paral- that, okay. The weirdest reason that I remember that name is because between the buried and me has a album that's Parallax is in the title, and it is a like high sci-fi concept record. So okay. Anyway. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, no, I really love, particularly like the Jeff Johns run on Green Lantern is fantastic. Uh, and like the the Green Lantern, Yellow Lantern Wars, really amazing. Anyway. Uh, yep. Yeah. The See, Sinestro Wars. That's why, that's why I said I was getting off topic because it just. 
But this is kind of what I'm trying to do here today, because I don't want to just sit and talk at y'all, uh, particularly given the sinus issue. Right. So uh, it's a fun topic for us, and I'm kind of channeling the whole, you know, talk about the things you love, and uh, you're not working as hard. Yeah. So, in any event, by a quick consultation of the cinema list that you will have now at your disposal, which is in the show notes for those of you who are looking, if you're interested, because it's a fan, it's a really fascinating list. It is. And the context of that list for things that came out in the same years, like, it will blow you away, some of the Jeez. things that uh, struck within, you know, a decent blast radius of one another. Like, for instance, <laughs> the fact that uh, you get Dark Knight in the same year that you get Iron Man just absolutely floored me well also Wild. as i'm reading this the most fascinating thing at a glance is that every single year the lists get bigger and bigger so you're watching exactly seriously mm-hmm. you're yeah. watching just the meteoric rise uh of the genre uh like as far as it getting accepted in the zeitgeist which i think is i've always thought is fucking fascinating and i don't know where i read it but it was compared back in the whatever I read compared superhero movies to our generations to westerns for their generations. Where like mm-hmm. back in the day, like you had like they were just powerhouses and they're just cranking out westerns after western after western, regardless of if it was good or not. But you know, every now and again, you got an Eastwood or a, a John Wayne feature that was like really fucking hype, uh, hypey. You know, absolutely. Um, and that's how it is today. And. I think I'm finally hitting the point with Marvel and stuff where I'm just I'm exhausted as far as Marvel movies are concerned, and that's mm-hmm. the same thing. Like you just got to look at look at the parallels, and it's the same mm-hmm. thing that happened to the Western as well. Not saying you know, no, it's a saturation I, point. Yeah, yeah. There's only so many movies, TV shows, connections. Like it's like I gave up after I I'd even finish Endgame because <gasps> I already bitch. hit the. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that I that's well known. I think I've mentioned this probably like once you a have. month. Yeah, um, because I was just getting oversaturated. Because I'm like, wait, do I need to watch the Agents of Shield show that was going on? And no there was like, does. I think some other show that went on around then or something. I can't remember. But now there's like four or five shows. There's like Loki. There's WandaVision. I haven't right. seen any okay. of those. Let me let me so, take a couple steps back and say. <laughs> I think that every or well, I guess doesn't apply to anyone that hasn't finished the arc through Endgame. But WandaVision <laughs> and Loki are deliriously fun, in my opinion. Yeah, but do you need to have watched all the things before? Well, or can do you need off- to watch anything, Michael? Oh, is the question. Oh, come on, we're not going that existential. <laughs> so I, I mean, do you, do you need to have watched all the previous phases in order to watch Wanda well, or understand WandaVision or Loki? Well, I guess the real question <sighs> is, how much do you know about quantum superhero storytelling? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you. That, well, actually, that's a good point to to if Fuck you really want to talk about joke. the idea. Of, no, no. <laughs> you mentioned the idea. You said quantum, and every that means everything's like compact, almost like segmented and separate. Okay, then so, I stand by my statement. <laughs> yeah, no, I, if can you tell an accurate story just by itself without including outside sources? Do people need to do homework before going into a? A movie? Like, in many of those instances, I don't think so. Okay. okay. Uh, I, I mean, even with WandaVision, 
and with Loki, I feel like they can exist independently of anything else, and you can just watch them for the fun of it, because okay. they are telling a story with a character that they will give you enough context that I don't feel... Like, for instance, if you just walked into the Avengers and watched the Avengers, you really don't need to have known any of the stuff that preceded it. That's fair. I mean, it fair. helps because it makes the characters a little bit more vivid to you and you understand what the trappings are and the characters being plotted against one another. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think you can just walk into anything yeah. irrespective of anything else and still enjoy what the story is. Yeah, okay. I mean, like when Becky and I were first starting to date, I dragged her along, I think, to Civil War. I don't think she'd been current on on many Marvel movies at that point. I think she'd seen like some of the big hitters, but like okay. she still liked the movie, but then she also tolerated me squeezing her hands super aggressively hard <laughs> when fucking Spider-Man came on the screen. <laughs> I thought you were going to go in an entirely different direction of saying like, you know, when Becky and I first started dating, like I didn't go introduce her to every woman I've ever slept with beforehand. Like she was just watching the movie now as it's taking place. Like she didn't need to see all the backstory to understand you know the character. You know what's funny is that I actually kind of did in so many ways cuz we were trying to scare each other off when we when we met. We were you, Yeah, you've mentioned yeah. it. So I was like, it's like, "Hey, you should look at these train wrecks. Look at these." <laughs> I have videos, by the way. We we sent them to somebody and never got paid for it. But uh, Man, here you go. I am still waiting for my royalty check. <laughs> <sighs> so, back on to the uh, the subject of horrible uh, comic book cinema. So. Uh, once we look back at the list, you discover that the first released Fantastic Four flick. Managed to reach filmgoers in 2005. All right. And this is as the wave was sort of cresting. It's not quite the high water mark for comic books, but certainly the renaissance had begun. So what we're going to check into is something that preceded that by 10 years. So we can't specifically claim that any one film is responsible for the proliferation of superhero storytelling across the modern cinemascape, but there is certainly a renaissance of appreciation that stems from one comic tentpole film, which emerged in 1989, for those of us who were all here having a bit of conversation, but Tim Burton's Batman did result in a major rejuvenation of comic properties for Warner Brothers, specifically, following their stagnation with the Superman franchise, which kind of died out in 87. And for good reason, because they had gotten really hokey. As Michael alluded to earlier, you've got <laughs> Superman flying around the planet to reverse time, which we won't even talk about physics it's here. Possible. I, it's I laugh possible. every time I think about it. <laughs> but it is something that we saw at the time in particular is that most film studios saw comic books as something that were marketed to either dim-witted individuals or children. They were not deemed a sophisticated storytelling. There were no real interesting characters. It's just garish colors and people in weird costumes, okay? So you can see that attitude manifest itself in comic book films. And with Batman, that was one of the first times where there was a degree of gravity given to the fact that they're going, yeah, this is a character whose parents were murdered in front of him. So he's not going to be running around being, you know, 
ludicrous and telling jokes and wearing garish colors. Cut to a couple of years later, and suddenly we were back to that <laughs> ethos again. But there was a degree to which they allowed the source material to sort of present itself as serious. And that kind of threw the industry on its ear because they realized, wow, people actually do take this seriously. And it's not just the mouth-breathing populace that we expected. In the same way that professional wrestling manages to do that with a lot of people as well, where they're like, oh, really? The the Cretans just love this, right? But the, God, there's a lot of Cretans. <laughs> so because of Batman's success, superhero intellectual properties started to look a lot more attractive to the big studios, which resulted in Marvel specifically making dedicated efforts to land substantial payouts and options for their most famed franchises. And you'll see this manifest in the early thousands. But as we learned from John's previous episode, which I was going to be prepared and have the number for that, and I think it's 48. Uh, about Black but, Panther? Yes. I think it was around, it's in the 40s somewhere, yes. but in any event, uh, detailing the Wesley Snipes-driven Black Panther adaptation. In the early 90s, there were a wealth of Marvel properties in play for cinematic development. So, brace yourselves, kids, because I think John alluded to a couple of these, but as I went back into it, I'm floored at some of the names in play. So, alongside Black Panther, James Cameron was reportedly developing an amazing Spider-Man film for Carol Co., that bullshit? No, not bullshit. Interesting. Hmm. This, I'm telling you, this stuff floored me when I started looking into it because it's just, oh, Cam it James sounds weird. Yeah, James Cameron sounded familiar or rang a bell, but a Spider-Man with Cameron. Uh-huh, which would have been really interesting, particularly once you start seeing Avatar and other films like that that are action-oriented. I was going to say, you know, forbid that the it did well if it ever happened because then we have to mm -hmm. wait fucking 35 years for a sequel, so... Now, even more shocking, and I know that this is something that is just going to fly by most of you because it's a little bizarre, but Wes Craven, who oh. everyone knows, of course, yeah. as being the godfather of the horror genre as far as they are concerned, he planned to follow up his box office success with 1982's Swamp Thing by optioning Marvel's Paramount occult property, Doctor Strange, into a motion picture, which was going to star a pre-James Bond Pierce Brosnan. Ooh, wow. that sounds... Is that bullshit? Because yeah, that say, sounds that like sounds too good right. to be true. Which which are you saying for bullshit? Uh, <laughs> which means you're on the right track. I guess he always that's a does fair this. point. He always does this uh, when you're close. But there's a lot I mean, of information that got imparted yeah, no, that, preceding that's fair. that. Okay. So. I, Did Wes Craven... I, I wanted to call the whole thing, but I guess Wes Craven and Doctor, Doctor Strange. Uh, Wes Craven was supposed to be developing a Doctor Strange film. Huh. Then I guess is Pierce Brosnan bullshit? Pierce Brosnan is bullshit. <laughs> what was, who was supposed to be then? They did not allude to any of that uh, in the research. It was just that it was, again, it was in development. I don't think they were really casting at this point. And with names that get thrown around, remember, this is the 90s. So uh, late 80s, early 90s. So people who are hot today 
not necessarily uh, going to be names that will spring to mind as we run through here. But uh, in fact, the comics were such a hot topic that talks were even initiated by Arnold Schwarzenegger and director Paul Verhoeven following their success with 1990's Total Recall to develop a cerebral science fiction-oriented Incredible Hulk film, which was going to be penned by the writing team of Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Schusset, which uh, John will know were the individuals who created and adapted... Well, one, they adapted uh, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale by Philip K. Dick into Total Recall. Okay. But they also were the collaborators on Alien for Ridley Scott, as well as the adapters for Blade Runner for Ridley Scott, and then later Dune, which Ridley Scott was optioning, but he... Elected not to shoot because they were going to make him shoot in Mexico City, and he described it as a dump, and he didn't wish to spend time there. Didn't he also say, and I quote, Dune is for virgins? Agree. (laughs) I don't think I actually heard that, but um, (laughs) the parallels are really weird. (laughs) Like, that was, he was actually planning on making it a a two part film back in the day as well. So the, the, Vin, oh, the Denny Villeneuve uh, parallels are really interesting. And actually they had Frank Herbert adapt the book for the screenplay initially. And then they scrapped Herbert's own write up of his own work and then had somebody else, you know, work on the script. And then that's what <laughs> floats into, you know, Shusset and O'Bannon. The amount of time that I've spent reading Frank Herbert now, I can understand why they would pass on him adapting <laughs> his own work because they probably yeah. were scratching their heads going, what the fuck did he just say? <laughs> There's a lot of verbiage in Herbert that is not common to the normal lexicon. Motherfucker just spent six paragraphs describing an apple. <laughs> Yeah, he's a little verbose, uh, understandably. So, in any event, it is necessary to clarify at this point that the height of Marvel's screen-based success uh, surrounded the Lou Ferrigno Incredible Hulk television show, which aired (laughs) between 1977 and 1982. Now, uh, we find out later that Arnold Schwarzenegger was actually up for the role. And he lost to Lou Ferrigno because he was vertically challenged. (laughs) So Schwarzenegger was not seen as being viable. So now Schwarzenegger's got a little cachet in the Hollywood run and goes, "Uh, fuck this guy. I'm going to get my name into the game. And that's why they start developing this, because almost to prove that he's as good as his fellow Mr. Olympiad, Arnold's like, I need to be the Hulk. We need to make this work. <laughs> I don't know why. What when you said that he was vertically challenged, I immediately remembered the movie that he did um, with Fig. I think no, it was one where he he and um, I'm forgetting his name. We're Danny twins. DeVito. Danny twins. DeVito. It's just yes. called yeah, twins. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, when you said vertically challenged, I immediately like, well, what the fuck is Danny DeVito then? Uh, like, Danny DeVito the is almost <laughs> subhuman. Yeah, uh, yeah he's I'm like, like five eight or five nine. Oh, no, he's like two no, feet tall. No, look it up. I looked it up like a week ago. <laughs> no, he's like two feet tall. He's a walking rat, basically. If Pat Oswalt has taught me nothing, it's Danny DeVito in a rat suit. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think I got enough. In any event, comparatively, Lou Ferrigno is, is significantly taller uh, than Courtney, Schwarzenegger is. Courtney, Danny DeVito is Where'd four foot ten. 
Yeah, that was a lie, yeah. John. It was a lie. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? He said on a good day he's five feet. She's but... stealing my shtick, man. What the fuck? <laughs> was that one of those lies, Shane? Did what did you like um outsource we, we your lies? It, yeah. Oh yes, shit. Yes, that was I'm the taking the John approach. Lie. I was gonna say, no, Michael, you and I are the only ones that are cheap enough to have done that. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Cheap, cheap yeah. for me to have come up with it, and cheap of you to agree to go along with <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> uh, so, beyond the the Schwarzenegger of it all, very few Marvel properties had managed to capture the public consciousness on any grand scale. So, while attempting to capitalize on the fanfare of the Donner Superman films in the late '80s, uh, they had produced flicks featuring The Punisher, which starred Dolph Lundgren. In 1989, which if you are not familiar with this thing, you need to go check it out. It's ridiculous. Really horribly done. Uh, it's just, uh, it's it's horrific. It's just, it's just, it's a crime. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. It's sensitive <laughs> and it refers back to Germany again. So, oh, no. Uh, you don't want Michael to, to censor you? I mean, he can do whatever he wants. I prefer he didn't. And then, uh, this was followed up immediately by... Captain America in 1990, which this is interesting fodder for all of you sitting at home, starred J.D. Salinger's son, Matt, as the Star Spangled Superhero. I highly huh. recommend uh, for you guys and for those listening that you follow along on that link in the show notes because I'm yeah. clicking in and seeing a picture of this motherfucker. And uh-huh. <laughs> it's, well, uh, you know, what's funny. Special. So then you mentioned that and I wanted to get on this topic because I found in the midst of cleaning out some of the stuff from my childhood that my folks saved for me. This is a magazine that I purchased <laughs> in that exact year. When wow. Matt Salinger was starring as Captain America, the and there's a right. lot of is the yeah. new movie. Oh, the movie's fucking awful. <laughs> but uh, it and, and I will detail that as we speak. But so this is stuff that is very near and dear to my heart, obviously. Uh, so as an indicator of its particular failings here, because uh, neither of those films were financially lucrative. I hate to break the bank for everybody, Aww. but yeah, Aww. they didn't do very well. Uh, as an indicator of this particular failings, Captain America was intended for release in August of 1990. It was going to coincide with the 50th anniversary of Captain America as a character. Okay, <laughs> Several release dates were announced between fall of 1990 and the winter of 1991. The film went unreleased for two years before making its direct-to-video debut on cable TV in the United States in the summer of 1992. Is that really how it so, went down? Yep. Wow. They had that thing sitting around for quite some time. Uh, to further mar this, in the UK, it was released on VHS in 1991 prior to the US release. So Captain America made it overseas before it was released in the motherland, which is just devastating. Furthermore, the film was also given a limited international release. In the Philippines, they changed the title to Blood Match. As opposed to Captain America. Okay. Uh, Okay. And it was released uh, on December 11th, 1991 in a double feature with a fucking Snoopy cartoon. What? Yes. No. Captain America. I'm sorry. Blood Blood match. match. 
and Blood Snoopy. Match. Okay. And okay. Snoopy. <laughs> yes. And furthermore, to add insult to injury, on the posters, they miscredit Jean-Claude Van Damme as the martial arts instructor. <laughs> Who do you think would win the fight, Snoopy or Captain America? Uh, well, furthermore, Jean-Claude Van Damme was the star of a film called Blood Sport, which came out a few years earlier. So this thing was just <laughs> all over the board. And uh, Snoopy died. Need... Exactly. Well, you know, you can't make a film for peanuts. But not in this economy. <laughs> Jesus. There are many Marvel comic aficionados who, because of this, referred to this era as the Dark Ages, uh, indicating that the act of simply seeing characters in costume was considered a victory because they grossly misrepresented most superhero characters in film and television. Uh, as an example, Thor made an appearance on the Incredible Hulk television show, as well as Daredevil, from what we're told. But Thor's was very egregious because he was depicted as an obnoxious, blowhard surfer stereotype rather than an Asgardian prince or, as it was in the comic books, as a scientist who discovered the hammer and then becomes Thor. Uh, is that needless actually to his say origin story? Yes, the origin story in the comics is that it is a scientist who becomes Thor, that Thor was not actually, you know, the son of Odin, that I, you huh. could, yeah, it's, it's I like dramatically different. I like the approach a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, but I, to the argument, Marvel at the time tried to be very realistic, so yeah. as opposed to the far-fetched, like, Superman is an alien, they explained that... You know, Thor doesn't fly just because he's powered by the sun. He actually uses centripetal force because he yeah, whips he the hammer around it. with yeah, such violence yeah. that it propels him forward. And it's not just, you know, random happenstance that allows these things. So there's an argument behind a lot of these things. Hence, Bruce Banner was, you know, infused with gamma radiation until he turned into an incredible creature. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, like Ben Grimm, the thing just caught a very aggressive STD and hence... <laughs> Full body scab. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking yeah. of full body scabs, how are we getting to this fucking uh, the, this blob? Oh, I'll get there. I'll get there. Just, uh, it's uh, clobbering time. So, in any event, it's about to be clobbering time. Yes. It was into this barren wasteland of Marvel properties that Roger Corman's Fantastic Four was born. So the film, almost an urban legend in the pre-internet days, was made for an astonishingly low $2 million. Shot on the cheap, of course, in a grueling 21-day span. Whoa. Not bullshit. Wow. Damn, that is short. That explains yes, why it was so bad. Like Danny DeVito. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he would have made the movie a lot better. Now, there are documentaries, and you can actually watch the entirety of this film on YouTube if you are interested. The link is in the show notes, so you can check this thing out. Michael, but you know how you're talking about sometimes you like to take an edible? <laughs> you should... <laughs> that does sound like a good night well spent. I, mm. I Over the weekend, I embarrassed myself by sharing a joint with, with somebody. And I've never really been high in front of a friend before, and I felt like I was. Well, I mean, I've been high in front of Courtney, but it's different <laughs> I because guess she's we're not heard friends me say. Anymore. Let me Oof. let's put it this way: Courtney knows me rather well. This is someone that I didn't know well. You know, I mean, you like, sleep well, with her husband. You sleep, so. Yeah, exactly. So it's, a 
Never mind. I don't have a good dismount for this. I'm just saying that okay. I would I would partake in this adventure with you, Michael, if you wanted to get stoned together for the first time in the same room and watch oh, something man. horrible and see how we react. Yeah. And since we love talking about bad cinema on this podcast, uh, it's it's Filming? well worth investigating. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. I'm I'm not going to give you the blow by blow the way that we typically do because it's one the film's not worth it uh and two <laughs> like it's it's just uh it's an investment of time that I'm not willing to make at this point in my life but uh this film never saw any official release that is theatrical video or otherwise okay wow uh, it's only been circulated heavily on the comic book convention bootleg circuit, basically, is the only way that you can find this. And Michael's eyes just uh, lit up yeah, like New York Times Square. Yeah, no connections. <laughs> connections back to connections the to conventions. Yeah. All that. yeah. Beautiful. Every time you say it, I still think of it as just some weird ghost with fur. The furry fandom. Woo. The furry phantom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. It's there inside your mind. Uh, so, if you look hard enough, of course, as I alluded to, you can also find a decent-looking version of this on the internet. But uh, I'm not encouraging anyone to do that. For context, <laughs> at this point, uh, film rights to Marvel comic characters were in an even more fractured state than they are presently, if you can imagine. So if it's uh, chaotic trying to sort through Marvel... Fox, Sony, and Universal Pictures all owning parts of the Marvel characters... Things were so chaotic back in the 80s because you had independent studios that were actually able to afford purchasing properties from Marvel because they weren't really popular. Enter the dragon, as it were. <laughs> the incident that precipitates the creation of this ill-fated film revolves around a typical Hollywood legal conceit, which is the lapsing of an internet... Uh, internet. The lapsing of an intellectual property option. Mm. Now, for those of us who enjoy horror films, particularly the Hellraiser franchise, we have been buffeted about the neck and shoulders with nonsense like this before, which is... Folks are desperate to hold on to the property, so let's just, uh, you know, throw a script at this thing that's already written for an entirely different project and just whip a character into it, and ha! It's a Hellraiser film, because we don't want to let that lapse. We want to keep owning Pinhead. And uh, the same thing essentially was in play here. I'm not going to explain copyright restriction to anybody or what it entails, because I'm not Michael, but I do have a paragraph here, in case anybody needs clarification. Really yeah. <laughs> yes. But uh, everything is germane to the conversation because in 1983, a German producer named Bernd Eichinger Stop met yelling. With... <laughs> <Ein! laughs> he so was in angry. a bunker with Hitler when Michael washed up on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> he's bypassing our defenses. He's getting into the bunker. <laughs> hey, Michael, can I make a, a small request of you? Oh, no. Uh, On your sure. wedding day. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you when you carry her over or the, over the, or through the lid, just be, <laughs> I actually thought the stepdaughter was going to say that, but <sighs> I'm chunking here. <laughs> I'm chunking here. <laughs> so. Uh, 
Mr. Eichinger met with uh, Stan Lee at Lee's home to explore the possibility of obtaining an option for a movie based on the Fantastic Four. Like you do. Uh, of course, at this point, the option wasn't available until three years later, but when it did make itself available, Eichinger's production company, Constantine Films, obtained it for the price that the producer has called not enormous. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Which we do find out later on is around $250,000. Now, granted, again, this is the mid-80s, so still a sizable chunk of change, but where yeah. films are concerned, not very not much. much. Well, and then they used the leftover $5,000 they had to make the movie. Huh, wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So, despite some interest, we're told, from Warner Brothers and Columbia Pictures at the time, the budget concerns precluded any production, and with a contracted option scheduled to expire December 31st, 1992, and that's an important date to note here, Constantine asked Marvel for an extension. That extension was not forthcoming. So... Eichinger, to try to get around this and retain his option, elected to produce a low-budget Fantastic Four film, going to the one man he knew could make an ambitious sci-fi movie in a hurry on a minuscule budget, and that is B-movie specialist Roger Corman. Now, I'm not going to sit and lecture everybody about Roger Corman here, because it's really not essential if you don't know who the guy is. He's kind of referred to as the Pope of Pop Cinema. He started a lot of filmmakers, including like Francis Ford, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, Ron Howard, Martin Scorsese, Jonathan Demme, uh, James Cameron. There's a slew of filmmakers that have wow. worked with Corman. Okay. Um, he is also semi-responsible for trauma pictures, so like the Toxic Avenger uh, and Nukem High, like a lot of really campy B films, a lot of Corman productions. Uh, Dark Star, actually, I believe, is a Roger Corman production as well, which is what uh, led Dan O'Bannon to write Alien. In any event, there's also a significant slew of actors, uh, including like Dennis Hopper, Jack Nicholson, Sylvester Stallone, who have been discovered and uh, spent a lot of time working with Corman. So the guys got bona fides. All right. This is why they would go to him. Plus, they expected him to make a marketable picture in a very limited amount of time. Uh, so you, you go to the best, right? Well, I mean, However, the, the trailers cringe, but uh, <laughs> well, here's the point. The difficulty about Corman is also that they're very well aware that you're getting substandard material here because he did not have a giant studio. He had a warehouse in Van Nuys. So he was All the right. RC Cola of this whole thing? He was the Dr. Thunder of the film industry, <laughs> yes. It's just, and to that point, most of Corman's films that his production company is famed for were basically derivatives of somebody else's concepts. Like, uh, the thing he was most famed for was doing a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe stories and converting them to film. So, he wasn't great with handling his own ideas, as we'll see manifested in this film. Uh, but to further complicate matters, Corman didn't actually direct the fucking thing. That unenviable task fell to Oli Sassoon, uh, or Sasson, as I he's Italian. So. Oh, it's a household <laughs> name, everyone knows. Indeed, <laughs> yes, Oli Sasson, uh, who helped to see the project through the whirlwind four-week shoot on a budget that has been reported between $1 million, $2 million, okay? Not a lot of money. 
For contrast, even the modestly funded Dolph Lundgren Punisher flick, which didn't need special effects, didn't anything, just needed, as Keanu Reeves would later say, guns. Lots of guns. Guns. Uh, That had an $11 million budget in 89. So ridiculous that they expected that because of that film did not involve a character con- constituted purely of orange rock, a flaming <laughs> flying teenager or a taffy man that needed to be manifested on screen here, okay? I mean, I would kind of argue that the better Fantastic 4 movie would be the episodes of Venture Brothers where it's not even <laughs> Fantastic 4. What are they called? Uh the impossible no that's an actual it's been long enough that i'm gonna forget what it but yes uh terrifying (laughs) uh and yes that is one of the reasons why venture brothers lampooning that is fantastic but we'll get into this later on fantastic four are not really a a phenomenal property but it is the impossibles by the way okay you should check those things out if you're not familiar, friends. They're fantastic. Uh, Pun Cor- intended. Courtney and Jonah in particular, you should watch Venture Brothers. I think you guys would really, really like it. Well, wait, wait, wait. No, no. I've made you watch it. You made us it. watch it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Never mind. I, I blacked that out. Uh, it's also like well, you, you have high, to kind so. of. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Except for he's not high in front of his friends. So <laughs> Only his lover. He's only high in front of his audience. Oh. So that is fair. He could. He never said he was never high in front of his lover, and you were just there or there. something. It is tangentially. Come with the, it is come with the territory, and I've I've learned to accept the fact that if I'm going to make love to Jonah, that Courtney's going to be in the room as well. So you're I, the unfortunate third wheel. I, I mean, don't someone wanna. has to yeah. hold. Someone has to hold the camera for his OnlyFans. Oh. I was like, this is also why she's thinking about my thighs so much. But uh, <laughs> anyway, tasty, tasty content, <laughs> Daddy. Uh, sorry, Daddy. You were saying, long, Daddy. Sorry. The sorry, long and what? the short of this pun, wholly intended, Ooh. is that production began on this glorious little show on December twenty eighth, nineteen ninety two, which is three days to spare oh before God. Marvel would regain the rights to the franchise. Oh, fuck you! So, you're not taking is, it from me. <laughs> is that bullshit? No, I it is not. Ex- uh, I, yeah. I had to try. Uh, oh, so. God. Like, this is what is so duplicitous about this entire project, is that they went into this thing basically, and according to all parties, particularly those on the Marvel side, they're like, yeah, this was a joke. They they did it because they didn't want us to get our property back. Uh, however, this was never disclosed to the director, cast, or crew of this production, so that no one ever mentioned, hey, this is just a little bit of sly finagling on our part to try to keep Constantine Films hold on the Fantastic Four, so you don't really need to invest yourselves, okay? They just <laughs> wanted to have a really potentially lucrative franchise they could use later on, uh, and keep it at a relatively low cost. So one to two million dollars, that's kind of just, you know, we'll call that a loss, right? So they go into production thinking that this is just a really great fast-tracked film and all these folks are like, we're going to be superstars. We're going to be in like a comic movie. It's going to be great, right? Uh, This thing was not very well received, even by the folks at Marvel who saw it, which is one of the reasons why later on they panned this thing. So again, I'm not going to give you the blow-by-blow of the actual film itself, but uh, just to give you an idea here, casting for the film was a bit of an anomaly. 
uh, as the biggest box office draw of the collective came in the form of Jay Underwood, which a few of you may know as the uh, bad boyfriend bug in Uncle Buck. Uh, he was long. starring as Johnny Storm. He's also in a couple of Disney films, which I think is probably what most folks would know him from. Um, it's like the boy in the elevator shoes or something. I'm, I'm not going to look it up. I don't care. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but that's, that's your attraction. <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, I think the woman who plays Sue Storm, the only other film I had ever seen her in is she is like a tertiary character in Love Potion number nine. Which, uh, for those who are not Sandy Bullock fans in the room, like it's it's you're pulling from the bottom of the barrel here. Not a great flick. Needless to say, the production company was kind of hedging their bets that the property itself was going to be the selling point, if anything. And yeah, we don't need to cast names in this thing. That said, they apparently had you know anywhere between like five hundred to a thousand different actors pour in with headshots trying to audition for this thing, and there are a slew of notable individuals who auditioned for this and didn't get the roles. For instance, uh. Where so the stunt man that it, you have to characterize as I threw myself off a little bit because Ben Grimm and the thing are the same character, but they need to depict both of them. So they have an actor who actually wound up the person playing Ben Grimm was taller and bigger than the stunt man they cast to play the thing. So he actually shrinks to become the thing, which is delightful. But furthermore. Uh, getting back to the Scorsese uh, connection I was alluding to earlier, the gentleman who was cast as the thing is a stuntman whose most n sort of like bit of notori notoriety we can link to is he is the man who has his eyeball popped out by Joe Pesci in Casino. He's the guy whose head is in a vice that they're torturing <laughs> through the uh, scene Spoilers. in Casino. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yes, for a film that's 25 years old. I need to give spoilers. I know. I I've, I've said that on air before, too, but I still haven't seen Casino. Just grow it. the fuck up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Put your head in a vice. Uh, so, needless to say, like they're, they're swinging for the fences. But furthermore, uh, the other major names noted for auditioning were Mark Ruffalo... Bullshit. Titus, no, Mark Mark Ruffalo auditioned for this. Didn't he play the original uh, Hulk in this recent run? No, was it Ruffalo who did? Uh... Ruffalo's the current Hulk, my friend. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, who, oh, who's the one who didn't make it? Um, fuck. From you haven't Act. seen Fight Club in a minute. Yeah, oh, was, Jesus, it yeah. was Norton. God fucking damn it. Yeah. Yes, it was. Thank you, Jesus. You're welcome. Uh in any event, uh, Titus Welliver, who, if you're uh, a Sons of Anarchy fan, uh, plays a, a crazed Irishman. Uh, and uh, even more hilarious for Family Guy friends and fans, Patrick Warburton auditioned for Ben Grimm. That would have been Ooh. incredible. That would have. I would have liked that. Granted, having, it's clobbering time. having the tick and, uh, and uh, the thing as the same character might be a little bit too much. But yeah, that's... Yeah, all of the the punchlines you got to throw. It's clobbering time. Uh, okay, <laughs> anybody. <laughs> so, make no mistake, friends. Uh, this isn't a good movie. All right. Uh, the one thing that you can give it praise for is it is remarkable not only for its fidelity to the source material because its costumes are 
as close to being direct lifts from the page as you can get. But uh, it also has a degree of absolute sincerity with which it approaches such an impossible task, considering the budget that it was given. So uh, when you try to make a film in 21 days for under $2 million, you're not going to get quality. Uh, needless to say, like their set decorations consisted largely of like spray painted Dixie cups that were duct taped to walls to make things look <laughs> sciency or futuristic. So uh, apparently their costumes, they, they tried to explain that they're so ghastly, but they're going like, well, I mean, Sue had to hand sew them, right? She actually created these. So they're going to look a little janky, right? Uh, the one thing they did <laughs> shell out a significant sum of time and money on is the Thing suit, which is like the one redeeming quality, particularly when you see the trailer. They actually <laughs> made a jaw that articulates and moves for the fact that it's a helmet, which again, we're talking like early 90s. But then for all the money they spent there, they suffer significantly. One, because all of the Reed Richards stretching, the effects are <laughs> ghastly. <laughs> like they actually have a scene at the end of the movie after he and Sue get married spoilers where his <gasps> hand stretches up out of the limousine sunroof to wave to everybody and it really looks like someone just took like a <laughs> pipe this. cleaner and made a squiggly <laughs> S and just waved it back and forth like it's <laughs> horrifically done uh, and whenever uh, so Johnny actually does not ever flame on until like the last 10 minutes of the film and then it was animated poorly <laughs> so if it it looks like a rejected section from fantasia that's how oh, like no. they have him fly into the middle of a screen he gets hit by a laser and they have him just circle in midair oh, like the apple loading logo like he's okay. he's just a static thing that just flips around in a circle not very well done but despite all of these pitfalls and all of the things <laughs> that they had to cope with a minor miracle was performed, and this film was actually completed in that 21-day schedule and was set to open on Labor Day weekend in 1993, okay? Furthermore, it got... It was very well received at uh, the San Diego Comic-Con where they showed the trailer. Apparently, they had people just teaming in and out of the building who were desperate to get in and see this thing. It was then set to have its first public screening, its debut to the world was going to take place at the Mall of America, which is a little passe now, but again, at that time, it's the biggest it big mall deal. in the yeah, United yeah, States. Yeah, like, yeah. it's pretty substantive. So, however, that never actually happened. Uh, and then later on, once that bypassed, they were set for a January 1994 opening, which also never materialized. So later on, you could actually see there was a VHS copy of another film that got released. It's another Corman production called Carnosaur. And you can take a stab as to what film you think that was lampooning. Is, it Is the, that a prequel uh, to a Velocipaster? Fuck, you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Like, hey, uh, this uh, this Jurassic Park thing's really big right now. We should probably get in on that action. Um, so on that VHS tape was the trailer for the Fantastic Four. So people actually bought Carnosaur just to see the Fantastic Four trailer. <laughs> uh, after that, however, after everything that. after that, everything was nuked. 
you could not find it anywhere. So much so wow. that actually they Marvel went in and got the prints of the film and took them. <laughs> so wow, here is where everything starts to unravel. So as recently as 2005, Roger Corman actually denies ever actually owning a print of this what? film. What? Like he said wow. that essentially once they completed, they were sending it out. They're working on stuff, and in the uh, when they were in the the post filming, Marvel Studios founder Avi Arad, or uh, yeah, I think I got that correct. Uh, he went and purchased the film from our good friend Eichlinger for a couple million dollars cash. And in his, this is his exact phrase, I purchased it for a couple million in cash and burnt it. (laughs) I say, I'm a hero. (laughs) Applaud me. (laughs) There's an interview that they have of Stan Lane at like a a panel for a comic book convention in the 90s where he's basically saying like, yeah, they're completing this movie, but we're... we didn't have any say in it, and it was the last thing our lawyers sold to an outside party that was against it. And everything we do for Marvel going forward is going to be our property. We're going to treat it and deal with it ourselves. God this damn. thing is just, uh, it's not intended to be consumed by human beings, and we're just going to disavow all knowledge. And you're like, that's, okay, Stan. That's, that's fucking hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> so the rumor mill essentially surrounding how all of this got done is that uh, Avi Arad was working on the X-Men animated series for Fox which aired on television. It was very popular at the time. And subsequently, Fox started kind of kindling the concept of purchasing more Marvel properties. Once Avi started working on this deal, the Fantastic Four being one of their sort of linchpin properties was thrown into that mix. And so... Fox was going to start souring on the deal. There's a rumor that Chris Columbus was supposed to direct a Fantastic Four film, and that was kind of what was involved in the pitch. And so... And outside of other... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say outside of other movies, like Home Alone, right? And then also Harry Potter 1 and 2, that's Columbus? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So it was going to be kind of a gift to, to Chris, since he was a fan of the comic and things like this. And this is why... Avi saw the chance to sort of legitimize Marvel by tying it to an actual studio and getting away from these, you know, harebrained idiots that they're just operating (laughs) out of this, you know, backdoor system over here. And so he went in, offered Corman and Eichlinger a significant amount of money to just say, listen, give this thing up. We'll buy the property back from you and you don't need to do this anymore. And, of course, those guys are like, oh, well, we were in this to make money in the first place. That's really all we were angling for. So, sure, we'll take it. Perfect. Everybody wins. Except for all the people who made the movie were uh, spending, you know, countless hours toiling away to edit this piece of shit. None of them were told. So they kept letting this thing go on like it was going to come out. So all the actors are going around doing press. They're going to comic book conventions. They're shaking hands, oh making signing autographs, and kissing babies. <laughs> no, no. Is so that much bullshit? so that, no, oh they never God. told no. any of them. So there's the whole documentary Doomed, which details the making of this film, is basically all the actors and the directors just griping about the fact that they hate <laughs> Marvel for having done this to them. Uh Damn. It, it, yes, Stanley's exact quote about the film is it was never supposed to be seen by living human beings. <laughs> so, this incensed a lot of people, not the least of which being the director 
Ole Sasson, who oh, essentially, to John's point earlier, is like, I need to have this film because I put a significant amount of work into this thing, and this is how I'm going to get subsequent work going forward. Mm-hmm. So if I don't have a movie to show, I didn't make a movie. I just wasted a bunch of time and effort. And his exact quote here is, I wish these people would at least have had the fucking decency to say, let's at least give the guy a decent print of the work, right? Yeah. And then all the people who made this film could actually show it to their friends and family. And that's not difficult logic to argue with. Like, <laughs> Not at all. I, I completely uh, sympathize. Uh, but... He got his wish eventually because it managed to make it out. Apparently, he claims that when he he was going to go steal the print from Corman's studio, only to discover that it had already been taken. But he did have a couple of working edits that he took to be duped, but those were also taken later on. His belief is when he took it into the duping studio that the two kids that were working the reels were like... <gasps> these are people in costumes. This is a fantastic four. So they made a copy for themselves while they were duping the print of the film. And that's what eventually got distributed and made it out into all the comic book conventions later on. Doesn't that make you sad that it doesn't really exist anymore? You know, like the prints and things like that. (laughs) Oh, like just in different ways. But I mean, like, yeah, that was a whole fucking era. You know, I really am oddly nostalgic for things like this because I just watched Sound City again. Uh, um, And as someone who the first few records I made in an actual studio were cut on tape Mm -hmm. and I was part of that process and I saw it like it's hard. I know there's the talk about the loss of fidelity that you get when you start compressing into CD, but it just there's something that is very almost reverent and uh, almost like a religious experience when you actually have to cut tape and work on editing takes that way as opposed to just the drag and drop functionality you have these days you know so yeah i'm with you i was i was talking to uh like you you know gail right yeah Yeah. not intimately but yeah yeah. well i've been i've been chatting with gail and reconnecting with them and i was talking about some of the like like mixing things so inside of you know, the software that I use for recording and and mixing. It's so fucking ironic to me that when I went to school, we did spend time learning how to do things on tape. And I Mm -hmm. was around, you know, analog tape machines a lot. And it's all well and fine. But like after like the little section of learning where they show you how to splice and put things back together, like you never really touched it ever again because then they just showed you how to integrate your digital machines in. However, like nowadays there are plugins in it. uh, I'm not joking. It's on every single thing that I use or that I, that I do is virtual tape. Like it's a, it's a plugin (laughs) that is algorithm. Like the algorithm makes those, the things that you thought that you would textures and tones. Right. Yeah. You saturate it with tape like digital tape. So even okay. though we've all moved away from tape machines, I can almost guarantee anything that you you listen to probably has a tape sim plug-in on it to give it yeah. that warmth that you get from tape. It's the same thing that like we lament. One of the reasons why those audio files amongst us like to go get vinyl again is like the fidelity exists. Cause like, if you listen to something like the civil wars, first album where they really have dynamic that plays like they get substantively louder. It's something that annoys a lot of other people who just want it. I want to set it at a volume and have it stay there. And anybody who's watched late night television who have a show that's at like, you know, two and then all of a sudden the commercials at 11, 
like those things can be annoying, but for people who are expressive musically speaking, like performance wise, like you want those swells, you want the ebbs and flows in a performance and you really lose that with all the compression we do these days. Yeah. So yeah, you miss those things. That's a, that's a fair point. And they're, they're compressed for different reasons because you're right in music. You should be able to hear when it's supposed to be loud, when it's supposed to be quiet. But like, if you're just listening to, uh, I almost said an audio medium, uh, if you're listening to something like podcasts, right, right, which are part of the audio medium, but like th- that will even occur in some of the podcasts that I listen to, where their talking will be at a low volume, and which is fine. Then I'll just adjust my volume, and then I'll go to a commercial, and all of a sudden I feel like my car's radio is about to explode, and you're bleeding from your ear canals. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and the people on the other side of the freeway can hear it. So you know what's uh, yeah. funny mentioning podcasts and, and that Michael is that the one episode of the show that i edited on the master out which is you know what gets published there's a virtual tape simulation so boom well look at that <laughs> would you look at that i don't even know if i have that installed that's probably just an add-on i haven't bothered i am not a good editor nor do i care indeed sorry and the product shows <laughs> well, uh, also speaking of being a, a poor editor, I'm also being a poor presenter here because we're we're just uh, we're we're living in the moment. You but kinda, I'm enjoying you, these. I was gonna say you kind of fucked it up for me a little bit when you implied that it was almost a loose fit. So I mm-hmm. I, I took it upon myself to go ahead and be a little more chatty. Yeah, and that's well, he, really he was, what we he want. was inviting us to yeah. do that. Yeah, it was a loose fit with a topic, which I feel is very good. Hey, to Courtney's because point, otherwise, Courtney's point, Doctor Sleep was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we had a topic uh, over, uh, like at least a good centralized topic, and that gave us direction instead of just not ranting per se, but just like going off on bizarre tangents and not going anywhere. Well, and then so. like to to get back to what you were saying though, because I, I had a thought that I secreted away. But one of the things you lose with a lot of compression, John and I have lamented this oh, with yeah, like yeah. Margot recordings. Mm-hmm. There, there are instruments that live in the background of a lot of those recordings that when you compress, they just get mixed in with everything else and you don't really hear them. But when you're sitting in front of, you know, a, an actual speaker attached to something that's playing a vinyl, you start to hear these instruments pop out. And it's things that you really like, you often have to really fight to try to get in your headphones otherwise, because you're trying to force so much sound into one thing. I'll, it's like a bloody world, a flower opening when you listen to these things. And not, not to get drastically too off topic. So that that's you what we're doing. Um, Fuck it. Yeah. Something you should also pay attention to, uh, I, you should, you can pay attention you. to, and it might it might make your life, like, give you a nice little Snapple fact, is mastering. So, like, when you see these mm. records come out that have, like, the remaster stamp on it, my first impression back in the day was to roll my eyes, because it just seems like a cash grab. But right. the reason that I think about this is because of Shane talking about Margot. So, Margot had a record that they, they put out that they didn't necessarily at the time have the money uh, to actually do a proper master for, and right. recently they find or he Richard Edwards finally had the money to get it professionally mastered, and he re-released it and pulled the old one off. So as a collector, and Shane I think has it too. Uh, he, I do. Yeah. The, the album that I'm talking about is Buzzard. Mm-hmm. Um, I have now what I know is the unmastered version and the mastered version, and you can put them side by side, 
And exactly what Shane was just talking about is a hundred percent true. And that was like my one to one example. You know, like I, it's it's fucking incredible to think. Yeah, it's you're you're just you really miss some of those things where you're like, wow, I had no idea. There's just this weird jangly guitar that's it's, hanging over in like the back right. This the it's the weird shit that you like as like just a, a listener, you're never gonna pick up until it's there or it's not there. You know? Yeah. And it's those intangibles. That uh, a film like, you know, Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four was sorely missing. And uh, quality control purposes being what they are, I find it really funny. And here's where I'm going to, you know, lament this a little bit. But it's it's strange that a, a property like The Fantastic Four, which has generated such little interest in the view of the general public that, like, the comic book which bears its name would have been canceled years ago (laughs) if it weren't for the fact that it was one of, like, the founding fathers of the Marvel movement, right? Uh, It just, you don't hear a lot of people talking about the Submariner anymore either, so we are willing to part with some of our history, but folks are oddly nostalgic about the Fantastic Four. Uh but it keeps inspiring this weird sort of like protective instinct amongst fans, right? So, like, look at the Josh Trank reboot as a like the two of you have not watched it. Uh, I speak to the the boys in the room here who care about these things. Yeah, also because Courtney, sorry of for, the like... internet feedback. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Courtney's got to... better things to do. We definitely just like are in the lunchroom right now. <laughs> but i mean like look at the trank thing and there was so much talk about how he was griping about not getting his you know appropriate image up on screen like the vision he had was not represented and all the other talk and yeah the the thing cgi was ghastly and everybody's just kind of like railing and it's not a bad film. The characters are just not that interesting, unfortunately. <laughs> like this podcast. They're scientists. Yeah. 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 Well, you can fuck off whenever you want. <laughs> She's talking about me. I'm not very interesting. So, in any event, considering that this same source material has essentially been like hovering around cancellation numbers for nearly two decades at this point, and you still have people who are clamoring for some cinematic representation, which appropriately addresses these characters. I just find ludicrous. Like if we learned nothing from 2005 and 2007, fantastic four films, it's that you're not really batting with great stuff here and you can't blame it on the actors. Cause a lot of those folks went on, to depict other characters in other Marvel franchises and are doing swimmingly well. So I feel like uh, I feel like that's another episode that that you could knock out of the park is just like a list of good actors that were cast into really <laughs> bad movies. <laughs> uh, prime example of that. We'll talk about uh, the Black Dahlia film, and uh, we can just you know go on for hours about that. Hartnett in that one. Yes, uh, and Scarlett Johansson, uh, Hillary Swank, wow. Aaron Eckhart. I've never, I've never even watched that movie. I don't know why I know that Hart knows. <laughs> you probably saw the trailer because he was kind of Hollywood's it boy at that time. Like he was in everything around that era. I don't That's know true. why, but it's just you know from fucking Pearl Harbor to oh yeah, fuck. Any one of those other random, like, the guy's in fucking Sin City, for God's sakes. Like, he's just, he was in everything. 
including my heart. Yeah, for a while. <laughs> no. I mean, Cute. we all love 40 Days and 40 Nights, right? I'm, I'm, we're not losing anything by revealing that to the public. I think it's a wholesome movie. Indeed. All the holes. My holes! <laughs> My holes. So, in any event, uh, that kind of uh, encapsulates our discussion about this weird cinematic debacle that was the unreleased Fantastic Four film. And uh, it's it's not really befitting what I would call an appropriate topic here, but uh, it, I was interested in watching the documentary, and I'm like, eh, it's something I'm already interested in and something I'm passionate about, so why not just throw Whoa. this odd bit of nonsense in here? I'm sorry for making I mean, you work when you're sick, uh, because I could have I I could have knocked out. No, I couldn't have. I couldn't have knocked out Solomon. <laughs> I'm still working on it. It's so fucking dense. <laughs> I don't yeah, know how you guys yeah. do it. I have such a immense appreciation for the research that you guys do on a weekly basis. If you want to do it properly, it really it takes a significant amount of work. And that's uh, the thing is that it's like I'm just hyper focused on whether or not things are like precise enough or like or concise mm-hmm. enough, you know? Yeah, well, obviously that's not a problem that many of us are encumbered by uh if you're gonna hear me talk for an hour. Or or hear me talk for two and a half about <laughs> water and furry shit in World War Two. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Or furry. Yeah, that is a two parter, so you got at least two, maybe three hours okay, worth. People now, seem to have really liked your episodes there, Michael. Yeah, it's very popular. What I will say, uh, to close this thing up on a on an interesting note here, it is a little striking though. Because from these horribly sort of derelict cities that we discover over here, that a few scant years later, you have what I consider to be sort of the catalyst for all this stuff moving forward, which is 1998's Blade, which I've commonly said is like the film I consider to be the thing that brought a bit of gravitas back into filmmaking. Because Blade doesn't feel like a comic book movie. It just feels mm-hmm. like a movie. So, yeah. it, which is another thing that uh, people talked about with Swamp Thing when Wes Craven made it, is they said they actually didn't advertise it as a comic book film. They just made it sound like it was a horror property, and because Craven was kind of associated with that, they didn't lean into it being a comic book property at all. And so it was almost like uh, it was a, a crippling sort of detriment to you if you said, like, yeah, it's a comic book. And so to go away from that and have something like Blade, which is serious, here's the thing that blew my mind. I thought there was this really giant separation between, you know, when the the crap comic book films were coming out and the good stuff. 1998 saw, as you see from the list here, the release of Blade, but that was also the year Batman and Robin came out. (laughs) (laughs) They actually were neck and fucking neck. And I was of the opinion that it was like there were years in between because Batman and Robin essentially crippled the industry. (laughs) And that was what a lot of my rationale was based on. And it kind of did for DC because it took a long time. They go from essentially 1998 to 2008 before you get to Batman Begins. I'm sorry. You can't just give me a list of years and then expect Uh me to check. So 97 was Batman and Robin, but you're not wrong that 98 was played. That's close (laughs) enough. It could have came out in like Years upon years of separation. (laughs) Years and years. Yeah, but no, you're absolutely (laughs) fucking correct. Uh, Do you think that it was X-Men that kind of brought it back after Blade as well? And then that is really... Most people point to X-Men 
because one, it's a more popular property, and it was a book that, and a book, it is a a film that went out and brazenly said, yes, this is based on a comic book. So Blade kind of hid that. Yeah. And so it's it was a little more obscured, and Blade, to its credit, had kind of more. Wesley Snipes was a bit more of a name star than Patrick Stewart, and I was talking about this with Melissa last night. It's like Ian McKellen was not a very well known. He was more of a stage actor. He didn't have a lot of major like filmic tour de force performances for American eyes. Mm-hmm. That when you see him as Magneto, you're like, oh my god. But that's kind of the thing that brings him into the public consciousness so that later on when he's Gandalf, you're not shocked. And you know what's really funny is that I read, huh. like, the, maybe you told it to me, Shane, but it's like an adorable Snapple fact about McKellen uh, and pertaining to Gandalf is that he read, it was like a yearly tradition for him to read The Lord of the Rings so that when he finally was going into the movie, like, I don't know, he felt at home with it. Uh, actually, I, that Christopher Lee is the, Fuck, the Tolkienite. The... God damn yeah. me! All Which right. Christopher well, Lee was actually both, they up. both look the same to me. Well, it's even funnier. So this is the this is actually the exact conversation I had with Melissa because I was saying um, Christopher Lee was up for Gandalf, and because he was the resident sort of Tolkienite, he actually would go out and do public readings Got of uh, the Lord of the Rings okay, and cool, things. Cool, cool. He was incensed that they chose Ian McKellen instead. And furthermore, Ian McKellen also played villains predominantly. So, like, between the two of them, Christopher Lee's going like, what the fuck? Like, we're both basically cut from the same cloth here. But Christopher Lee is a bit more ominous. I mean, the man played Dracula, for God's sakes, and is rumored to be the individual James Bond is based on. So it makes a little more sense that you have someone who's got sort of like the panache uh, of a Christopher Lee who plays the villain that is a scintillating role in the plot. And Gandalf needs to be kind of... Your, your wizened and kindly grandfather when he needs to be, but has the ability to turn. You can argue both of them would have been more than capable. I would have been very interested to see Christopher Lee be Gandalf, yeah. but, well, uh, you know, is what it is. Not to not to be too nerdy about it, but, like, in Fellowship, before, you know, you get your turn on who Saruman is and, and Gandalf, like, they both mm-hmm. seem like, you know, part of the same crowd. And that's, that's what Absolutely. they're meant to be, you know? So, like, I could see, I could see him as either role. It's one of the few redeeming quality, a few, like I'm any sort of cinema critic here, but it's one of the things <laughs> I actually really enjoyed about The Hobbit is being able to see sort of Saruman as he's going over, but when he is still technically on on the, the side of the white, if you will, and, and behaving himself appropriately. Right. Not completely corrupted, so it's nice to kind of be able to retract that a little when he was still the leader of the clique, but uh, in any event... We've uh, we've managed to get ourselves derailed again, but uh, <laughs> the the thing that we talk about between like Blade and the X Men, mostly they actually adopted the tone of the comic books and made it sort of safe to adapt comic concepts into cinema. And so those are the reasons why I point to those as sort of like the enzymes that got injected into the mixture that makes it more acceptable to make comic properties. And then after that, once the X-Men hit financially, everybody started buying properties, which is how you get Spider-Man, how you get the Fantastic Four films, all these other things start to kind of perk up, particularly for Marvel. But uh, that's the thing that drives me absolutely like I, I still could not fathom that Iron Man came out in 2008 
and that it and Dark Knight were basically neck and neck. So it's like you have DC's high watermark, and then after that, Marvel just obliterates them. Really cool stuff. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But uh, that, I think, will bring my contributions to this evening's festivities to a close here because otherwise i'll do this all evening but uh (laughs) once i started looking at that list i was talking about it with steven and i was just like yeah i could probably sit and do this for hours so this isn't really an episode i don't have to try very hard to evoke some of this stuff this is my puppy dog michael moment but but speaking of that i think we only got one of your lies you did but uh, I was a, a little bit underhanded. I, I was slightly <laughs> duplicitous here, but... Uh, Surprise! Was it a number lie? No, no number lies. Is oh, it a lie okay. from so, fucking three years ago? No. That you've just been peppering in as fact? No, for- <laughs> not that bad. So uh, any any other guesses before we get going here? No, I got lost in the sauce there. I was going to say, it's it, like I said, with it being an unconventional show, I wasn't really trying to make these my usual seated lies. I but also firstly, now that I haven't seen you in person, oh, fuck, almost, it, it'll probably it's been a be, while, it, a month and a half at least. So th- uh-huh. this, just, this just felt like, uh, you know, setting Catching up, tearing, up. yes, you the know. kind of the shit that we talk about yeah. when we're setting up or tearing down practice or shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Michael, Courtney, no kisses, I assume? No. I I was cycling in and out of screen, so I didn't see your your nods or or dissenting head nods. uh, All right. So, lie number one is that uh, Wes Craven was planning to follow up the box office success of Swamp Thing by making a Doctor Strange film. Um the Swamp Thing 1982 film actually doesn't even have its box office numbers released to the general public. You can't find it. Oops. So, oh. yeah, it was considered <laughs> nice. so much of a flop that they just refused to release their numbers. So you only get the numbers for the 1989 sequel to that film, but they don't have the 82 numbers up, which is hilarious. Because awesome. I tried to find that, and it's just not available anywhere. So... Uh, you did get number two that uh, Pierce Brosnan was going to star. What's even funnier, if you look back on that list, there was a Doctor Strange film produced in the 70s. Wow. Which is ridiculous, but I digress. Anywho. Uh, now, uh, lie number three is the fact that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was in uh, talks with Paul Verhoeven to create an Incredible Hulk film. That was Aww. not in the works at all. Uh, I mean, and I, I peppered that. I also peppered it by adding in the fact that Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Schusett were going to make it a, a sci-fi property because I figured I could use that to kind of gloss over all the other things because they did write Total Recall. Total Recall was a very successful successful film at the time. Ooh, so it says, yes, it was a lobster fart. <laughs> um, and so... <laughs> what? <laughs> Had to have listened back to last week in order to catch that friend. Um, So it was a successful film. It would make sense. And because he had been in the running to be the Incredible Hulk for the television show, I can see him being upset about not doing that. So that's all just me making stuff up. And then line number four, I basically threw all of my lies at you in in the first like 10 minutes of this thing. So line number three lies. 
Oh, shit. Oh, there yes, was a was. hidden lie. I was on to something. Oh, oh. man. <laughs> okay, it was, so, it was so cheap that I actually uh, I didn't include didn't it. didn't even count so, it. Tell me I'm not present again, motherfucker. Tell me I'm not <laughs> present again. <laughs> it's the only thing you write down at the beginning of the show so that you can count them off on your finger when people get them, John. Bitch, I don't even have a pen anymore. Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, Fuck off. shit, the pen is gone. So you'll appreciate the fact that I'm not going to hold this over your head then. So a fourth lie for those of you who were paying attention, apparently. Um the uh, Shusit and O'Bannon did not write Dune for Ridley Scott. Fucking God damn it. I thought about <laughs> saying something. Well, like, so like, technically the authority on this. Like I should just trust this motherfucker. <laughs> no. So, so that's the whole point. Dan O'Bannon was present on the production for Yodorovsky's Dune. Oh, God damn. And I was going to make a comment about that too, because that's another for like, a, if I'm not mistaken, that's a, similar story to the fantastic Four. Yes. it's just uh-huh. it's not it's quote unquote nowhere was not actually theatrically released oh, it wasn't even shot like they not they were in pre-production and then they they let the rights seed because they weren't gonna if you haven't seen that documentary you need to fucking watch I it will. it's I will. phenomenally done one it would have been incredible to see what yodorovsky wanted to do with it and his casting choices alone particularly once you've read the books and you're familiar with the material, like he was going to have Mick Jagger play Fade. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, Shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) So, anywho, uh, to give the Michael explanation for the Ridley Scott lie, not that it matters, uh, Dino De Laurentiis actually hired Ridley Scott in 79. They were operating off of the Frank Herbert script, that had been written and Ridley Scott in his hubris along with De Laurentiis, they scrapped Frank Herbert's script and brought in uh, Rudy Wurlitzer to write the screenplay. And then they retained H.R. Giger who had been working on the Yodorovsky oh, Dune okay. got it, got it, got it. designing the Harkonnen homeworld uh, of Gady prime. And so interesting bits of nonsense there, but also Giger is one of the reasons that you do get uh, Dan O'Bannon and Ridley Scott connected for Alien. There's a lot of weird tendrils that connect all of these films, so it's a lot of fun. Hmm. So it was a it was a very duplicitous lie for me to throw in here. I like it. That's yep. That's it. Uh, All of that stuff, essentially, that one paragraph contained the entirety of my lies for the episode. Everything else is fact. Okay. Nice. Cool. But uh, if you're if you get a wild hair at some point uh, and you want to see how ghastly the film is beyond that trailer, that is a difficult movie to watch. So much so that like this is something I, I left out because I know most of you aren't Marvel comic fans, but there is a character that is ensconced in the mythos of the Fantastic Four that is the Mole Man, (laughs) which uh, fans of the Incredibles will appreciate that the character they're lampooning with the Underminer at the end of the the film. Yes, yes. Uh, The Underminer is a take on the Mole Man. So the Mole Man is actually a character in this Fantastic Four movie, but they changed his name to the Jeweler. (laughs) 
because uh, the mole man typically breaks into vaults and places that would hold oh. jewelry. And so they basically have the mole man on screen, but changed his name. And that is the character who's has that weird, odd, flaming, poetic thing at the end of the trailer. It was like, we're the stuff of stars. <laughs> yeah. Just horrific. Also, would I, recommend for the listeners to watch that trailer that you showed us, which I it's, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. The link is in the show notes. Uh, you can go scope that out, uh, as well as the the team Thor depiction of uh, Thor to give you an idea of what Surfer Thor would look like. But Jeez. what were you saying, Courtney? Oh, I think I have to walk back my original answer after walking watching through this list because. Iron Giant, I didn't know, was a superhero movie, but I grew up with that movie. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, so in the, I don't know if you read through the actual article, they had a list of criteria that they would Mm. use to determine whether or not... What's a comic and what isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Anime, uh, essentially, manga also counts into some of that. Uh, So, yeah, there's a lot of that. Nice. Which I think Iron Giant was a manga, if I recall. Most Mm. likely. Was it? The Iron Giant. I did not know. That's another one that has a huge, like, star-studded cast as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that might have been... I, I'm I'm misspeaking. I think that might have actually been a children's story, but in any event, I digress. Well, that was fun. So there you are, friends. Thank you for going on a ride with me and uh, for doing something a little less conventional. This, this wasn't very much what we would consider to be the quintessential Shane episode. This is mostly me rambling. But, I like uh, it. Thank you for letting me... Just foam at the mouth and bloviate, as my coworkers would say. Well, happy to happy to listen, and thanks for letting me uh, ramble yeah, and that was good. you know put into question my friendship with Courtney. Um, <laughs> but not I actually, your adoration for I actually, Jonah. I actually am really fucking embarrassed about that. I've been thinking about it ever since I said it because how could I forget being so aggressively stoned in front of Courtney while she was watching a horror movie while she was still not into horror movies? Uh, I don't know. Because you were so paranoid about it that it just it couldn't have happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, because in my head, when you and I were watching The Witch, your first time and you know my first rewatch in a while, I was like, I was like, okay, so Courtney is really, really scared of horror movies. I'm gonna get stoned so that it makes me way more scared, uh, so that we're on an even playing field. Uh, but yeah, that that was a fun time. So I'm sorry that, that I, uh, no. I'm sorry I forgot. I have a follow up question to that though. What wouldst thou like to live deliciously? I sure fucking do. <laughs> I sure fucking do. Man, the the baby jam of that movie really screws me up. Ugh, that is the one thing that I still I have forgot. problems watching. Yeah. I have a comic um, book question. Do we think Jeff I'm, the Landshark is going to get a movie? Because that's all I care about. If this is a South Park reference, I'm missing. No, I, do I, you I, not know about Jeff the Landshark from current Marvel comic books? Apparently not. You have to look him up. Uh, He's the cutest thing that ever existed. I will confess, for those who are hanging out here, I have admitted previously I'm like total DC through and through. Uh, Particularly with my my reading proclivities, I have very few Marvel comics on the wall. Oh my good God. Is that that horrible? Oh, he makes me so happy. I mean, happy. you can share the screen. I'm Show going, me I'm what a, you're I'm about yeah. to. Yeah, Usually we share this kind of silly stuff for the After Dark. 
Though I will say, uh, Melissa oh would God. also say that I was remiss if I didn't add that uh, Squirrel Girl is her absolute favorite. So oh my if you're looking God. for something it to check wears out. a little fucking hard as like Albus does. Yeah. Oh, God. oh my God. And if you God. go up, there's one of him in a floaty with like um, Deadpool on it. No. <laughs> 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 that is precious. Oh, That's oh, the only go. Marvel oh character God. I care about. <laughs> For good reason. <laughs> okay, Shane, I'll send this uh in our chat so you can throw this in the show notes. So that these Okay. <laughs> if people need I'm all eye, about it. if people need eye bleach, there you go. <laughs> yes, you're gonna you're gonna need to uh check that out as well. Oh my fucking god. Thank you, Gordon. That made my night. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, uh, and congratulations for hoisting me on my obviously overinflated petard here. You're not supposed to say that anymore. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what? It's <laughs> okay. That might be an edit. Yeah, it's okay if you retard the dough, John. Uh, it's the, part of making yeah. bread. Yeah, you gotta uh, slap the, it. The best thing that I've or that Courtney sent me lately was the. Uh, it was from today. She's watching a cooking show, and it's a was it Indian cuisine? No, it's Hawaiian. Hawaiian. There we go. Mm-hmm. And what is it? Oh my god! <laughs> wait, wait. What is it, and how is it spelled? I think this is a really good exit note. So it's spelled P U P U, um, and it's. I thought it was saying to China's. <laughs> That's my. <laughs> That's last week's favorite thing. Uh, no, so I'm sure most of you have heard of like poo-poo platters, like as Hawaiian mm-hmm. food. And there's a chapter of a book from a chef who was on Top Chef called Heavy Poo-Poos. And so <laughs> she's talking about how like you don't want to miss out on a party that has heavy poo-poos. <laughs> and it was just not. I mean, oh, that's do you, do you poop but out so at parties? <laughs> do you drip and droop and strain? No. I mean, five foot oh. she poop at the parties. <laughs> that was what I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, five um, five foot Helen poop at the parties. Maybe that's the spiritual successor the to Michael's episode. You know, it's you know, heavy water, heavy poo poo. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's your autobiography <laughs> title, John. <laughs> uh, did you guys know that pee is stored in the balls? <laughs> I knew that. Uh, well, for the uh, giant confederation of uh, joke farts here, thank you all for being here for another distinguished installment of Disinformed. Uh, as per usual, if you love and appreciate what we've got going on here, you can show us in myriad ways, not the least of which being like and subscribe. Give us a little rate and review if you would be so inclined, uh, and we would love to hear from you. Of course, you can find us on all of the socials. The link is in the show notes below. You can also find us every wonderful week that we elect to take a little time on the tubes of you for some disinformed after dark, and I believe we might have a little scintillating foray into that nonsense for you if John is uh, able to sit through it and shit through it. Don't eat me. My schedule changed. I'm what? about to schedule your ass right now. <laughs> but uh, And also, of course, you can find our, our new episodes here every Marvelous Monday. It's a delightful thing. And of course, we got TikToks. Courtney's just killing it over there. And we've got the occasional... Uh, post on Twitter, which uh, bless Michael. We had him for like a week, and now I, we're done. 
that was it. Yeah, I was like, I was like, the did you know? Well, you know, it's funny when you post two times a day, and then the only people that like respond to it are the people that are on this call. Yeah. And so I was like, I'll react to like trending things because those usually get like two hundred views according to Twitter telling me that. So I'm like, but I'm not gonna do things on like politics that are like or like covid or sports because i know shit about sports so i'm like that's all that trends on twitter nowadays mm-hmm. so i'm like what the fuck am i doing yeah it's a shit platform and i've always hated uh, it but uh, you uh, know i'm the one who doesn't like it here so what are you gonna do uh furthermore i do have to question and i'm not trying to inject more time into this episode but uh, michael what the fuck did you do to our google adsense so that we're now censured for now and forevermore <laughs> So I was oh, like, man. you know what? You can you can choose how many dollars you want to put in per day. So I was like, I'll do two dollars a day on a Google ad that's just like, hey, come check out our podcast page on Podbean. I did all the stuff. I got pictures. I made it nice. I came up with headlines. I submitted it. Five minutes later, suspended for suspicious payment activity. I put in my own card. Google has my card saved through my account. So I don't have to type it in every time. They should know. It's associated with me. So they're like, nah, nah, nah. It's, it's, it's suspended. I appealed it. They said, no, fuck you. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, fine. Instead of doing it on Disinformed's Gmail, I'll do it on my own Gmail. Same fucking thing. I guess they don't want us to fucking, like, advertise on that. So uh, I was very upset. This is a show that is predicated on lies, Michael, and you're curious why anybody would consider us to have suspicious activities surrounding us. And also... It was payments activity. That was the thing. So, well, you did have to censure your stepdaughter from purchasing pornography. So, uh, you know, it's one of those difficult hills to climb. Uh, uh... So thank you for ruining any possibility of us ever making money uh, <laughs> through all of your exploits. You basically just shot yourself in the foot there, friend. You're doing terrific. Just through Google Ads, though. There's other methods. Well, you know, Michael, for $2 a day, you can feed a starving child. I think you have one downstairs that you could start with, and then maybe we can branch out from there. Yeah. Nah. Oh. That sounds like effort. Well, from, that, uh, she knows how to hunt. From what her mother says, she's real thirsty, so, I mean, you can also worry about that, oh my too. My God. Uh. All right. Well, uh, ladies and germaphobes, thank you for enduring some of our collective housekeeping here. It's appreciated as always. So I believe that is going to wrap this rascal up like a rubber around a dolphin dick. And so for the Disinformed Podcast this week, I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Michael. I'm Courtney. And Zippity Zoop, we're out of here. Nine. Hey. <laughs>